I have always been curious about the work people do since I was a little girl. When someone tells me that they hate their job, I feel itchy. I feel this huge urge to de and desire to fix it for them and then go into the company and fix the culture that's giving that person that feeling. And I do think that this is my innate thinking. And I know it's not everybody's jam. Our guest today started as a corporate attorney. And while he's had to unlearn some things to really build his company, he still had that innate desire to make his culture phenomenal and intentional. And he's done some very creative things. Federico Baradello is the CEO and founder of Finales, a venture-backed New York and San Francisco-based company building the world's largest private securities brokerage platform. And just so you know, investment bankers are not really known for culture, but this company is. And he's the first guest that we've had that has intentionally built an international team, which has also come with its own surprises. Federico Baradello, welcome to How I Turned the Corner. Kendra, it is a pleasure to be on here with you today. Well, thank you so much. So we would love to hear a little bit more about what was prompted you to open up this business. Oh my God. Well, uh, we would have to go back in time six or seven years, and that would take me back to being a corporate attorney at a large global law firm working out of the San Francisco office. The law firm's name is Kirkland and & Ellis, and the focus of that law firm is in M&A, mergers and acquisitions. And so I was doing lots of mergers and acquisitions types of transactions on behalf of large private equity funds, names such as Vista, Silver Lake, and many others. And as a corporate attorney, I was working on a lot of those deals. And I, over time, I realized that my career was really circling around a central irony, which was the fact that we were doing some of the most interesting technology company buyouts in the world. But at the same time, we were leveraging 30-year-old technology to actually get those deals closed. And as a digital native myself, I guess considered an older millennial, but Facebook came out when I was in college and I lived my entire life in the cloud. That to me particularly made no sense. This notion that I was in the cloud for almost every aspect of my life, except for the deals that I happened to be managing, which was still in kind of this web 1.0, Microsoft Office suite plus email uh, type of experience. And so it was that central irony that kind of created this fire within me, this obsession around how can digital transformation be brought to bear in this multi-trillion dollar a year asset class, which is mergers and acquisitions and, and capital raising. And so that's what ultimately kind of instigated me to want to leave the firm to try and do something about it. That's great. So then tell us about some of your first employees. Like what were some of the first people you brought onto the team? Well, one of the things that I realized early on was that the formation of a team was really gonna be my first real test as a budding entrepreneur. One of the things you realize is that you know, being in entrepreneurship is really a crash course in sales. Mm -hmm. And before you're selling to any potential customers, you need to sell the vision to potential employees or partners, as well as investors. And I remember thinking early on, well, you know, this is the first real test. Am I going to be able to successfully persuade? Uh, other people. 
to join me in this mission. And so early on, I had a number of false starts in terms of trying to identify a partner. I remember that you know, thinking, well, this is going to be a software company. I should probably bring on a technologist to, to work alongside me and to help me manifest this vision that I have living in my head in terms of what digital transformation might look like in this space. But I had a number of false starts. I had quite a bit of trouble early on trying to identify that perfect person. And it was actually in the course of that experience of interviewing a number of people where I ultimately decided, hey, maybe there's an opportunity for me to try and identify that talent in Latin America, which is a region of the world where my parents happen to be from. And so I had some linguistic as well as kind of cultural competencies to, to explore opportunities to identify partners uh, in Argentina and Chile. And I was very fortunate that I, that I was able to find some really stellar individuals to, to work alongside me in those earliest days of the company as we were cycling through a number of different go-to-market strategies and ultimately landed on product market fit. That's great. So your first employees were international. Yes, they were. I think that in retrospect, I couldn't have imagined having done it any other way. Although I have to recognize that the way that I got there was somewhat circuitous because it was as a result of trying and failing to build a team initially here in the San Francisco Bay Area where, where I happened to be living. But in retrospect, it, it was a real blessing in disguise because what that enabled us to do was to get going right away and to move at a certain velocity that I think would have been very difficult to achieve if we had tried to build and scale that team initially from the United States, where within just a matter of, call it one and a half to two years, we had landed on product market fit. The early days of a startup are really around validating different strategies. And there's a lot of trial and error, right? Mm -hmm. And I think in retrospect, I now, I now look at that and I recognize that it's really the only way to get to a favorable result as a startup is if you're you're willing to kind of exercise that gumption and try lots of different strategies. And I was very fortunate that I was able to form a team that was basically willing to tolerate um, all of the fits and starts associated with trying to land on that killer strategy. Mm -hmm. So then what have you noticed? I mean, do, and you have US-based workers as well? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, at yeah. this point, yeah, there's uh, approximately 90 members of the of the finalist team. We call ourselves finalists. And the distribution is broad. It's here in the United States as well as overseas, primarily across Latin America. Okay. So what do you notice that's different between your international colleagues and your your US-based colleagues? I tend to think of more in terms of what they have in common. Okay, uh, great. Yeah. You know, I mean here here at Finalis, there's there's a number of core values uh, that we keep very close. And, and one of them, which is, I, I would argue, the most important is that we embody the trust that we deliver. Um, and one of the core tenets of what we're able to deliver to the market as an investment banking back office platform is that trust, because we deliver last mile connectivity between the investment banker and the regulator. And I've been very fortunate to, to feel that, you know, Every single individual within, uh, within the team is somebody that I can absolutely count on. And we can all 
count on each other to to get the job done um, and to have that a relationship of true confidence. And so, uh, you know, that that to me has been incredibly important. Another uh, important tenant is proactivity, uh, you know, just just the the value of not necessarily needing to ask somebody to do something, but knowing that each of us to an individual degree will recognize, hey, there's a gap here. Even if there's something that's kind of outside of my wheelhouse, I'm going to identify that gap and I'm going to try to address it because we're all trying to move at a certain speed. And so, you know, there's far more that binds us together uh, as a company than what I would point to as being uh, unique or or discrete. There's there's obviously cultural elements and linguistic elements that I think add a certain degree of depth uh, to to the company culture. Where, for example, with with a number of members of our team uh, being from Argentina, with Argentina w- winning the World Cup, that was obviously exciting, and and that created a really special moment of unity uh, within the company where irrespective of whether you happen to be living in Argentina or not, uh, you know, that, that was something fun to celebrate as a company. Uh, but we really see ourselves as a global company with, with an important uh, footprint here in the United States in, in the sense that we serve, that the lion's share of analysis uh, users today are really coming from the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I love that. So it's, I love that your first your first value is around trust because I also noticed with a lot of the leaders that had to transition from being in office to being remote who are now trying to figure out what's next for their kind of office, you know, sort of strategy. It fundamentally comes down to a lack of trust with their employees. And it's almost like this these international decisions you've made have forced you to really examine that because you you're not going to see people every day. And so, I mean, has that been kind of your experience too? It is core to everything we do here, you know, as a remote business, you know, if an house doesn't have um, formal offices, you know, we, we do get together and we have, we have, have mailboxes in New York and in the San Francisco Bay area. Uh, but we don't have formal, a formal office presence. Uh, and so what that means is, you know, people are fundamentally, they're working from home or they're working from a WeWork or another co-working space. And you cannot build and scale a business if you if there is that kernel of a doubt of, wait a minute, are people really doing the things that they say they're going to be doing? Mm-hmm. Um, I often say that scaling a startup of this nature is hard enough with the trust. <laughs> it is basically impossible without the trust. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that when you, you embody that and you lead with that sentiment on your sleeve, I think that what I've experienced is that people tend to follow through. And the people that aren't willing to follow through, uh, they, you know, you, you become aware of them very quickly and they don't tend to survive in this right. kind of a, of a company context. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that it, yeah, the remote work uh, kind of modality really underscores the need to make sure that we trust one another. Mm-hmm. So what, where, where did that come from for you? Like how, how are you just naturally that kind of a person that is more trusting or did you have to work on getting there? 
It's an interesting question. I'm not sure that I it was so much something that I had to work towards. It was more something that we had to uncover together as a company. This was a company that was really born and scaled in a COVID context. The company, although the company uh, birth predated COVID, our launch date into market was in May of 2020. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. And so this whole notion of being a distributed or remote workforce was kind of brought upon us as it was brought upon every company in the world. Uh, and so we had to wade our way through it. And in the process of wading our way through it, I think we started to uncover uh, a certain set of, of values. And those values were bottoms up. They weren't top down. You know, I didn't wake up one morning and say, all right, company, here's the, here are the values. They were values that emerged organically over the course of our early years operating in market. And just to, to express the others. So, you know, the first one I mentioned is, you know, we embody the trust that we deliver. The second one is you know, we're extremely proactive. I mentioned proactivity. The third is that we challenge conventional wisdom. The fourth is that we're passionate about our work. And the fifth, which is really important to me uh, personally and professionally, is that we exercise stewardship with our customers, our investors, and one another. And as I mentioned, you know, these, these are values that, that we collectively kind of were able to, to come up with. Uh, and we formally rolled them out uh, and kind of locked them in as part of our uh, finalis offsite uh, last November. Hmm. That's great. And so would you say, though, at your core, you do embody every one of these? I mean, do, do any of them do you look at and kind of go, well... I'm not sure I'm 100% that, or do you feel like they are really 100% you as well? I think so. Okay. And, and I think that that authenticity, which is something that I think people are hungry for um, in the business world, really shines through in interactions that, that folks have uh, with, the with the company at every level. Mm -hmm. um, and I have found that business success comes from a place of if you're able to communicate and express yourself from a place of true authenticity. Uh, you know, there's probably a number of other noble values that we don't prioritize as much as these five that I happen to express. Um, but I think that across each and every one of those five, I would say that, you know, th they're an expression of the best of what a finalist has to offer. And it's, it's an authentic expression of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of values over the years that I would say were aspirational and, and that's where a leader has said, oh, this looks great on a wall or exactly. this looks great on our website and, but they're not living them at all. And right. then for the employee, it's very confusing and it creates, um, almost a lack of safety. I'm not sure if that's really, that might be too dramatic of a word, but it's like people don't know what to really believe. And I think it starts to erode trust on both sides then too. And so it's it's really important that those values, if you're created from the bottom up, like what you did, that you're able to also truly live them. Because if not, like it's, it's your employees know what you believe. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more. And that's been our experience. Um, so yeah, very, very happy that we took the time to engage in that exercise uh, because it's not 
simply something that goes on a bumper sticker for us. It's, it's actually kind of our lived experience as finalists working in this company that these are our core values. Um, and, and it's effectively an expression of everything we do here. Mm-hmm. I just love that it even spans internationally and works internationally. I just think that's amazing. Yeah. And, and I think that what's interesting is that in the COVID context, again, you know, COVID challenged a lot of conventional wisdom about how you build and scale businesses. And the international component, I think, certainly was one of those. And what to me became clear over time was that it could become a tremendous uh, competitive advantage for a young company like Finalis uh, to recognize that we didn't need to be limited by geographical boundaries. The only real limitation from a geographical perspective might be time zone. Uh, But putting that to the side, there are really no limits in terms of uh, the opportunities to widen the aperture and actually explore talent opportunities outside of U.S. borders. And there's probably a lot of tricks to the trade to doing that effectively that we've had to figure out over time. Uh, But now that we've developed a core competency in terms of sourcing talent outside of U.S. borders and integrating that into our broader corporate culture, I think that it has become an absolute uh, advantage for us as we continue to scale. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you about some of the other trends we're seeing that are U.S.-based and see if you're noticing these. So um, in 2021 to 2022, uh, the top, you know, we had here in the U.S., the Great Resignation. We didn't really see that so much internationally which was, I thought, interesting. There were definitely people that it seemed like we're making bigger, you know, we're making some movement, but it was not like what we saw here at the U in the U.S. And in the U.S., the top reason that people quit based on a study that I read um, was a lack of career development. The second reason was compensation, total comp, which was the first time compensation came up early in a discussion in my 12 years of doing this. So that was interesting. That's probably mm-hmm. geared more toward the, just the global the global inflation that we've all been experiencing. So I can see that being more of a trend internationally. The third reason though, is a lack of caring and inspiring leaders. It's always Mm -hmm. interesting to me, like that's something we have a choice in, right? As leaders. But, um, and then the fourth reason was a lack of meaningful work. And the fifth was burnout. So do any of those kind of, do, do you hear any of those things with your, with your crew, with your crew? Well, I think that those all, all of them are exposed risks that any business has to be mindful of, um, especially a business that's growing as quickly as Finalis has been growing. You know, I think about burnout and the risks of burnout every day. Uh, and, you know, I, I think about, you know, talent retention uh, and employee engagement every day. I mean, these are all critical things that I think any CEO needs to be incredibly mindful of. Uh, and so, I, I agree that, that those are significant risks. I do think here, though, it is important to recognize that they're likely, and this is maybe an opportunity to reflect a little bit on the differences when you're growing a team internationally, that you need to take into mind the local context in which uh, you know, somebody, uh, somebody is finding Finalis and working with Finalis. You know, their, their work may be international, but their lives are very much in the locality of you know, where they happen to be living. And uh, there are important 
nuances in terms of you know somebody that might be uh, working out of their home office in in a city in Latin America that that doesn't exactly map to the same types of concerns or issues that somebody sitting in Tampa, Florida might be feeling. Right? Mm-hmm. It, 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 you know, even though the Finalis experiences is a global work experience, uh, their lives are lived in the local place where, where they happen to be. And uh, the things that they're going to be prioritizing or solving for in their career is going to be very different. And so one of the challenges that we've had as a business, uh, really through our people team, is, is really understanding that and reflecting that in the way that we engage with each, with each finalist to make sure that it's carefully attenuated to the realities of, of people's lives, where, where the job happens to be meeting them in their local place of where they happen to be living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, that's so great that you think about all of those things. And I, you know, you said earlier that every CEO should be, but most are not. Most are thinking about their products and their theme about raising money and capital. And, and so, you know, most people are not thinking about what their teams are needing and are they burning out and are they going to stay and are they engaged? So I just love that you think that way. I mean, that's part of why you're here is that you are unique. <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, there, what, how does that African proverb go? If you, if you want to get there quickly, go alone. If you want to go further, go, go together. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and I think sometimes out of a desire to deliver immediate quarter results, you think, you know, to hell with it. Uh, I don't care if people get burned out. We need to get there. Um, but what purpose is there of achieving or exceeding your quarterly OKRs if there isn't going to be a team to sustain the company's growth and objectives the quarter after that? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, there's, it's really important to consider the long view uh, and to build a culture that can sustain itself uh, and that can frankly outlive or outlast the founder or the CEO, that it doesn't necessarily need the founder or the CEO to be pushing it because this is something that everybody is kind of, you know, we're all drinking out of the same well, so to speak. Um, so I, I do think that that it's important to to keep that long view in mind. And that's something that you know, we we take very uh, seriously here at Finalis when we talk about trust. You know, we think about the trust that the U- Finalis users place in the Finalis platform. You know, Finalis is a regulated entity. We have significant responsibilities on behalf of our users, and and part of that responsibility extends to making sure that we build infrastructure that can basically sustain itself for the long term. Um, And that requires not just our software, but the people behind the scenes making sure that software is working well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, in the the investment banking world, that is so unique. I mean, quarterly profits are the the driver for everything. And the fact that you're thinking and playing that long game, how does that, how does that align with your clients? How do they feel about that? Do they, do they even care? No, I think they care tremendously. Uh, I think that it's very important for, and not, not just I think, I would say they think, uh-huh. uh, that, that it's incredibly important because there is no more trust-filled position that a software company uh, can have 
with its investment bank than, than the types of software-enabled solutions that Finalis is able to deliver through the compliance support, uh, through the regulatory support, through uh, the deal flow capabilities that, that we've built. And so that trust is central to all of it. And you know, to the extent that it's, it's unique or different for the investment banking space, you know, my view there is that, and I often say this internally, is that we, we don't necessarily need as a company to embody the values of an industry that we are looking uh, to elevate with the types of software solutions that we've built. There's an opportunity for Finalis to reflect or to stake new ground around a new set or, or kind of an updated set of values for this industry. And, and I really believe that. And when I think about the users that we, that we support, you know, the, the investment banking industry is changing too. You know, the, 20 years ago, uh, when somebody thought about an investment bank, well, the expression investment bank might have been synonymous with Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan Chase or, or other large investment banks. But over the last 20 years, and many people don't know this, the largest uh, and now fastest growing segment of investment banking glo- globally aren't the large players anymore. It's the so-called long tail of this industry. That's everything from the sole proprietor, uh, independent contractor, investment banker to uh, the 20 or 30 person shop in Midtown Manhattan and everything in between. And I call the, that long tail the entrepreneurial class of investment banks, where there too, there is a hunger to rethink the conventional wisdom around things like values or short-term versus long-term thinking. And so I actually think that, uh, you know, to the extent that our values are new and fresh, well, they're new and fresh potentially relative to the industry that used to be, but I think they're more and more aligned than ever before on the industry that, that is evolving um, to be kind of this new class of investment bankers. Well, let's hope so. I would love to see that because investment bankers are the ones that I, I feel like are... Um have the opportunity or the challenge <laughs> to really transform work because it's they're driving so many things right now that's that is either causing people to love or hate a job. So let's hope that you continue to really make that impact. That'd be cool. I would love that. that. Well thank you for joining me today. I'm so grateful to hear this. And we'll check back in with you in a couple months too and see how you're doing and uh, just bring you back on. So thank you again for joining How I Turn the Corner today. Thanks so much, Kendra. Absolutely delighted to be on with you today.